welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Matthew 26 this morning. I'm excited to be here. I don't know if you guys are. I'm excited for what God's got for us. I've got to take you back to history class for just a second. got to go all the way back to the Revolutionary War. And, and for most Americans, we know two generals' names from the Revolutionary War. The first one is George Washington, and that's because he is GW. Like, there is, there is no questioning who George Washington was. But the, the second one you know, but you may not even think you know. The, the second one is a guy named Benedict Arnold. And when and the, when the Revolutionary War broke out, Benedict Arnold was this this very successful businessman, and he joined the military. And he quickly rose in prominence and popularity in the military. He had many great battles, and to the point where he was one of George Washington's favorite and most trusted soldiers. But war is hard. When Benedict Arnold signed on for the war, he wanted the glory of it. He wanted things to work uh, out well. He wanted to be famous, but he, he didn't think about what it might cost him. And, and Benedict Arnold lost a lot in the Revolutionary War. As a prominent figure, he was targeted. His, his business suffered and was closed down because of the economic hardships of war. During his uh, fighting, he was wounded, and he became very bitter by this lifelong wound that he would carry. And, and then he watched as, as younger officers who had more training were promoted above him and he he got jealous and so he made a decision I'm gonna switch sides I'm gonna change up what I'm doing and he was in charge of a fort and his plan was I'm just gonna surrender this fort to the British they will think I'm famous they'll, they'll give me more money they'll give me more prominence and therefore I will be part of the British I will leave the Americans and fight for the British and, and because of this we see Benedict Arnold in kind of a, a double stance like there there are memorials in America to Benedict Arnold we, we have places where he won great feats for the American army and they have a memorial to this general who, who came in and made everything work and who had this great victory but, but they decided that we better leave his name off of it and so I love this in America there are memorials to this man and we refuse to put his name on the memorial that is built for him and the reason for that is is Benedict Arnold has become synonymous with being a traitor you, if somebody betrays you in some way, you'll call them Benedict Arnold. You're just a Benedict Arnold. That, that, wouldn't, that, wouldn't you love that to be your reputation for hundreds of years after your death, is to be the traitor? Now, what we dislike about Benedict Arnold is not that he was on the wrong side. There, there were many generals and many soldiers on the wrong side from our perspective of this war who fought for the British, and, and we don't know any of their names. The reason we know Benedict Arnold's name is because he was on the right side. And then he made the mistake and he chose the wrong side. We've been in a series called Oxymoronic Faith and we're looking at things that just that don't seem to click. We're looking at Jesus and how he chooses his disciples and his teachings to his disciples and, and they're things that just they don't seem to go together. And, and Jesus, in his group of disciples, he chose one man. He picked one Benedict Arnold. We know him as Judas. Now what we don't like about Judas is not that he was on the wrong side. There were many Pharisees, there were many people that hated Jesus, the chief priests hated Jesus, and very few of us know their names, but we know Judas's name for the same reason we know Benedict Arnold's name, is he was on the right side, but then he chose to go to the wrong side. And you have to look at Jesus and you have to ask, why did Jesus pick this guy? I'm shocked that Jesus picked this guy. Jesus who knows everything, who knows the future, the past, and the present, who can look into people's hearts, 
he picked Judas for a purpose. And as we kind of go through our scripture today, my, my question is, why Judas? He's obviously irredeemable. He's obviously going to betray Jesus. So, so why did Jesus pick this guy? And what we're going to see in the story of Judas is that, that Judas is the betrayer. He breaks all the rules. He switches sides. But this is the oxymoronic part of it is, is Jesus's treatment of Judas did not match the crime that Judas committed. We don't really know much about Judas. As a matter of fact, if it wasn't for him betraying Jesus, he would probably just be one of those names of the apostles that, that you know it's a name, but you don't know anything else about them. They have no speaking parts in the gospel. They didn't seem to do anything big, at least compared to Peter or John or those guys. Many of them, we don't even know what they're, uh, where they came from, and that's how Judas was. But here's what we do know about Judas. Just for the sake of the fact that he was one of the twelve, that there was a point in his life that Jesus Christ walked up to him like he did all the disciples and he said, follow me. And Judas most likely immediately followed through on that. So we know that just by the context of the group of people Judas was in. That's how you get into this group of 12 is that Jesus personally called Judas to be a disciple, purposely called him to follow me. Now we look at that and we say, well, Judas was obviously unworthy, but I think the point of the scripture here is that all the disciples were unworthy. You and I are unworthy. And so we know Jesus picked him by hand, even though he was unworthy. We know that, that Judas was trusted. Maybe perhaps he had a background in finance at some point. Out of all the disciples, guess who got to carry the valuables? Guess who got to carry the money and make sure that the disciples were fed when they worked from town to town? It was Judas. Judas was trusted above others to be the financier, to take care of the group financially and economically. We also know later, after the disciples figured out who he was and what he was doing, we also know that he betrayed that trust. That throughout the time that he followed Jesus in his ministry, he continued embezzled from the funds given to the disciples and he stole from it. And then the last thing and, and the reason we really know Judas is the role that he played in the crucifixion. And, and that's, that's it. We don't know where he went. We don't know how he responded to lessons. We don't know where he came from. This is all we know. But through those three stories, we get a picture of Judas being money-minded. He, he was put in charge of the treasury for the disciples. He stole from it. And money becomes a factor in the betrayal of Jesus. So we know that Judas had this thing, this connection with money. And this comes to a head in Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, Jesus is preparing for the crucifixion. He knows it's coming and he's trying to prepare his disciples. And in the midst of this story, this woman, Mary, comes to him. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, comes to him. And she takes this jar of perfume an alabaster jar. And what this tells me is that this was her personal perfume that uh, Jewish women would have wore in a necklace around their neck. And it would have been very, very expensive perfume. I'm not talking about JCPenney's perfume. I'm not talking about whatever you order off the internet. We're talking about a jar of perfume that would have been meant to last a lifetime and it would have cost nearly a life salary. Most scholars agree that the price of this jar of perfume was somewhere around $50,000. And she comes up to Jesus and she breaks it, and she just pours it all over Jesus. This is this beautiful perfume. This is called anointing, and it's a way of honoring a guest or a friend. She anoints Jesus with this perfume, and, and as this happens, there's this intimate moment between Jesus and this woman, and all the disciples are standing around just going, what just happened? And they seem to not understand the significance of this moment, and they begin to argue with Jesus. They're going, what? why would she do that? Why would she waste that? 
We, we could have taken that, and this is Judas, Judas specifically said that. We could have taken that, and we could have sold it, and we could have had money, and we could have gave it to the poor, we could have fed ourselves. We could have done so much money, with, so much with that money, and she just, she just broke it. She just wasted it. She, she wasted this on you, Jesus. And Jesus reprimands his disciples and, and he points to the fact that, that her heart is in the right place. And that's what he's concerned about. And it's at this moment, it's at this moment that I think for the first time, for the first time, Judas really sees Jesus. Judas really understands who Jesus is. See, Jesus, or Judas comes in following Jesus with this whole different perception of who Jesus Christ is and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And suddenly in this moment, Judas realizes that, that Jesus isn't interested in money. Jesus is not interested in being great or sitting on a throne here on earth or building a kingdom and being a king. Jesus is not interested in doing those things the way that Judas thought that Jesus was. What Judas realizes is that Jesus, Jesus is not interested in any of the things that Judas was interested in. And he gets angry. He realizes, I've been following this guy for three years, and I'm not going to get anything out of it. This guy doesn't care if we waste money. This guy doesn't care what kind of money we could be making. This guy doesn't care how people should revere us. This guy, he's never going to change. It's always going to be like this, just a carpenter walking around loving and caring for people. And Judas doesn't want that for his life. See, Judas walked behind Jesus. There were times when G Judas walked beside Jesus, but Judas never walked with Jesus. And immediately in the next text, it tells us what Judas's reaction is. This is Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests, and said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you, speaking of Jesus. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought the opportunity to betray him. Judas, at the very least, we can say Judas is a man of action. And we have to ask, even if he's angry with Jesus, why, why the betrayal? Why would Judas just go and walk to the chief priests, the people who hated Jesus the most, and say, what will you give me if I deliver this man to you? I have the power to give him to you. What, what do I get out of this? And what we see in this story, if you dig into it a little bit, is we see a misunderstanding from Judas's part of Jesus's purpose. He had this expectation that if I follow this guy, we're going to be famous. If I follow this guy, we're going to be rich. If I follow this guy, I'm one of the 12. When he sits on a throne, I will be in a high place. I'll be able to tax people. I will be somebody. Jesus is going to do a lot for my life. Jesus is going to take care of me. And so Ju Judas followed him because he thought he was going to get something from Jesus. And it's when we see that he realizes he's getting nothing from Jesus that he changes. And we see from Judas, once again, that he's, he's money-minded. He, he, he thinks about, how am I going to get rich? What am I going to get out of this? How is this going to help my wallet? How am I going to make my pockets jingle just a little bit more? What is it about Jesus that is going to help me do that? And so he realizes in this moment that with that not happening, his purpose for following Jesus is over. Uh, last week, we talked about a story of a, of a man. We called him the rich young ruler. And we talked about the idol of money. We talked about this concept of, people refu of this man refusing to follow Jesus because he didn't want to give up his life and he didn't want to give up his riches. And we see in Judas, even though he followed Jesus, it was because he still had this idol 
of money. That was what Judas loved. That's what Judas cared about, is he wanted money and fame and power. All things that have to do with this earth and this world. And, and the Bible tells us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. That means friendship with the world is conflict with God. And so here's Judas, and he walks around. He walks with God, beside God, behind God, all over the earth. But he's got this relationship with money. He's got this relationship with the world. He's got this relationship with, with how he's going to get rich. And, and when he realizes that that does not go with following Jesus, we see that the verse is true. He has conflict with Jesus because of this. To Judas, to break open that jar of perfume and pour it out, that was not just wasting money. That was throwing away his God. That was throwing about away what he cared about the most. And so when he realizes that he can never be rich or powerful, he abandons Jesus because Jesus is doing nothing for him, he thinks. And so many people, so many people follow Jesus this way. We're in it for what can we get across the country right now, and hopefully there's not very many of them, but somewhere there are preachers and they're on TV and they're on radio and they're saying if you follow Jesus and you give gratefully, you're going to get all of these financial blessings back. God's favor will be on you as you walk out into the world and he will make you rich and famous and powerful. And there's a lot of people that are following Jesus today because they're looking at what can I get from him? I think sometimes we've developed a little bit of Judas, Judas's heart. Because some people follow Jesus not for the sake of getting Jesus, not for the sake of Jesus' grace, but because they get something. And that something may even be heaven. And, and we sing about that. We sing about the fact that there's money in heaven, the streets are paved with gold. We, we worship the fact that one day we're going to be in a place with mansions and streets of gold. And we think, well, Jesus is getting me heaven. And we've missed the point. Jesus is not getting us heaven. Jesus is getting us Jesus. I think that we've started to become a little bit like Judas. I think that at times we look at Jesus for what can we get out of him. And for that reason, we may find our faith destroyed when we realize that Jesus is not looking for the same things that we're looking for. Jesus' kingdom is not what we would expect it to be. Our first take-home truth is this, is that following Jesus for the wrong reasons will leave you dissatisfied and empty. And Judas was dissatisfied and empty at this moment. And you've got to feel for Judas a little bit. He's wasted three years, three years walking around with Jesus. He, he's been homeless for three years. And he realizes all of these things that he's worked for, he's never going to get, even though his heart was wrong in following Jesus for that reason in the first place. And so he decides to do damage control. Well, if I'm not going to get riches out of Jesus, if, I, if I'm not going to get famous out of following Jesus, what can I get? What's, what's the last little bit I can, I can salvage from this relationship, from this wasted time? And, and he knows that the chief priests are looking for a way to capture and to kill Jesus. And he thinks to himself, that's got to be worth some money. That's got to be worth something. I can finally get something out of Jesus if I sell him. And so he goes and he makes a promise with them and he barters with them. And they settle on this price of, of 30 pieces of silver. Now, to you and me, that sounds like a lot because we, we don't handle like actual like gold or silver as currency anymore. And so when I hear the word silver, I hear the word gold, I'm thinking we're going to get rich. But if you do, if you look at the math of this, it, it could be as little as $200 that he sold Jesus for. It's not a whole lot of money when Ju Judas sells him. But there's a, a very big point to how Judas 
sees Jesus and the way that he asked for money. In Exodus 21, there are rules that were written to the Israelites and they, they were to govern society. They're not sin rules. They're just like government rules and laws that were to be obeyed that were given by God. And one of those rules was this, is that if you incidentally kill somebody else's slave, you're responsible to repay them money and loss for that slave. Would you like to guess what the price is for a lost slave? It's 30 pieces of silver. And so what we see in Judas here is when he sells Jesus, he's not just betraying Jesus, he's selling Jesus as a slave for the price of a slave. And it tells us about Jesus or Judas's heart is that he looks at Jesus and he has the relationship all backwards. See, we're here this morning because we came here to serve Jesus, or at least I hope that's why we're here. If not, we, we need to get that right. But Judas looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, you serve me. Our relationship is based on the point that you do things for me, that you do what I command, that you give me what I want. And so he sold Jesus for the price of a slave. <clears throat> we see that Judas's expectation of what he was going to get was devastated. And what I love about the story is if you really think about Jesus, is, is Jesus knew. Jesus knew where Judas was when he was talking to the chief priest. Jesus knew where Judas hid that money. Jesus knew before he called Judas that this man will do this to you. Jesus knew it all and he called him anyway. And he loved him anyway. And he taught him anyway. And if you were Jesus and, and you knew not only that this person was going to betray you, but what it would cost you when they betrayed you, how would you have treated Judas? Some of you are smiling because you know it's not like Jesus would have. Let me ask you this question. What if you were at work? And your coworker who is really chummy with you and they're always helping you out and they're always friendly with you. What if you found out that they've been embezzling money for the company and they've been secretly for months setting you up to take the fall? How would you respond to that person? Not only the fact that they're cheating you, but they're secretly setting you up to take the fall. What if you had a really close friend and they came over to your house all the time and you thought, this person likes me. I have found a brother or a sister that I can walk this life with, somebody that I can trust with anything. And then you found out the only reason they're around you is because they find your spouse attractive. And they're coming to your house and they're using you to get close to your spouse in hopes that they can lure them away from you. How would you treat that person? What about your family members who you trust with anything and you come to them and you share things with them you would share with nothing else and you realize they betray your trust, they tell others and they make fun of you. How would you respond to that person? I know some of us are sitting here going, I'd do the Christian thing. The thing that all Christians do. I'd give them the cold shoulder. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna yell at them. I'm not gonna treat them bad. I'll just give them the cold shoulder. Good morning. Hi. <clears> Hi. <throat> I won't, I won't be mad at them. I won't tattle on them, but I'm not going to be friendly to them. Good morning. Yep, it's a morning, all right. That's what a lot of us think we might do. But most of us, we would never even be that holy. Even that's not very high on the holy, holiness ladder. You know what I'm going to do if somebody does that to me? I'm going to storm to their house and I'm going to beat on the door and I'm going to throw it up and I'll be like, what are you doing? You're ruining my life. How dare you? Don't come near me again. I'm telling everybody. You don't betray me that way. And what Judas did to Jesus is so much bigger than those few scenarios. And then we look at the story of how did Jesus treat Judas, even knowing what Judas was about to do to him, and even knowing what the cost of that betrayal was going to be. 
If you look in the story, if you follow this down, immediately after the story of Judas selling Jesus is the story of the Last Supper. And, and this is an intimate moment where Jesus sits down with his disciples. And he's going to be preparing them for him to leave. He's going to be preparing them for what's about to happen. Uh, the Last Supper happens at Passover. And the Feast of the Passover is so important to the story. It's the celebration of a story in Exodus. You've probably heard of it. The, the Israelites the Israelites are all in, uh, all in captivity. And God has sent Moses. And Moses is calling down these plagues from God. And he's telling uh, uh, the Pharaoh, he's saying, hey, uh, let my people go or else. And the last one was the angel of death who comes and he kills every firstborn son. And, and the celebration here is that, that Jesus or not that Jesus, that God provided a way for the Israelites to be protected if they would kill a perfect spotless lamb and splash the blood of it across their doorway, the angel of death would disappear. The angel of death would pass over them. And so they celebrate the Passover. And this is so important because this points forward to Jesus' blood being shed of an innocent lamb to protect us. And so Jesus is having this intimate moment with the disciples and he's gonna express to them that the Passover is all about him. It's his last chance to prepare them for the hard days that are coming when he has to tell them, I know you've given everything to follow me, but I'm about to die and you're not gonna understand. I know that you think I can overcome anything, and I can, but this is not going to end how you thought it was. And Jesus takes this time to prepare his disciples. And there's a very telling verse here, verse, verse 20. It doesn't seem like there's much, but listen to this. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the 12. It doesn't say he sat down with 12 people. He sat down with the 12 those 12 who had followed him, those 12 who he'd handpicked and called by name, follow me. Those 12, those 12 sat down and one of those 12 was Judas. Judas was here with Jesus sharing this meal. Judas had sold Jesus but not delivered him. And yet he's still invited to this moment. And to skip over, this isn't recorded in Matthew, but it's recorded in John 13. There's this, this very amazing moment in the middle of this story where, where all of the disciples are around this table. And they didn't sit at a table like we do today. They kind of lounged on like a pillow and propped themselves up on an elbow, and they would have been sitting there and eating. And you can imagine the chatter. You can imagine, imagine the celebration. It's kind of like being Easter or Christmas for us when we're with people and we're observing um, or having a meal together. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus gets up from the table and he takes off his robe and he lays it over to the side. And he wraps himself in a towel and he picks up a pitcher of water and he, and he goes and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail about this moment, but, but we can kind of imagine what it was like to be there in that moment. Jesus gets up and, and he kneels down behind John and all of a sudden John looks down and Jesus is wiping his feet and, and the room goes silent. What's Jesus doing at this moment? They're looking at each other like, what, why? This, this is a job for the lowest of low servants. Nobody else would do this. In fact, Jesus would not have even expected his disciples to do this for him. But Jesus Christ, God himself, is sitting here washing his servants or his disciples' feet. And he moves on from John and he moves to Thaddeus. And he washes his feet. 
And he moves to Peter. And Peter's going to mess it all up. Peter's not going to let this be silent. He looks at Jesus and he kicks him away and says, you're not about to wash my feet. This is below you. I'm not going to have you washing my feet like some lowly servant. And Jesus has to reprimand Peter. And he says, Peter, if you, if you, don't, like, if you don't let me do this, you have nothing to do with me. Let me wash your feet. Let me wash you. Let me serve you. And then Peter, who is one for mood swings, he says, well, okay, in that case, give me a sponge bath. Wash everything. And you have that moment where the rest of the disciples are scared to say anything after he's done with Peter. And, and he moves on from Peter to James to Andrew to Philip. Then he comes to Judas the betrayer. What a pivotal moment in history. As Jesus walks up to the man who sold him to the cross, who has already betrayed him, who has said that Jesus is my slave, he's only valuable to me when he serves me, and Jesus walks up to him, and he kneels down, and he starts to untie Judas' sandals. And he, and he takes water, and he pours it over Judas' feet. He takes a towel and he, he slowly and carefully and lovingly, like, like a father giving their child a bath, begins to wash the filth off of Judas's feet. Think about that for a second. Think, of, think about what Jesus is doing and think about what Jesus is saying to Judas in this moment. I want to know how Judas responded in this moment, knowing what he had done and seeing this display of affection and this display of humility from Jesus. I want to know how, how Judas responded to this. Did, did tears drop down his face as he looked away in shame? Did he pridefully challenge Jesus by just glaring at him? Was there, was there a moment of, of eye contact? The only two people in the room who know what's going on are Jesus and Judas, and they share this moment where Jesus serves him. You've heard that verse in the Bible. It's, it's everybody's favorite verse. We're so good at it. It's so easy to come by. It's uh, love your enemies as you love yourself. That's what this looks like, to love your enemies and love those who have betrayed you. We see uh, God's grace is on display here. And this is more than practical. We know from the discussion with Peter that Jesus had that this is a picture of what Jesus is fixing to do on the cross is that he's fixing to pour out his blood so that he can carefully and lovingly, like a father washing a child, wash the filth of our sins off of us with his blood. And because of that, we miss something with Judas. This isn't just a moment of Jesus saying, I did it for everybody else, I'll do it for you. In this, there's an invitation to Judas. Judas you can still be washed. This filth of your life can still be washed off of you. Your, your betrayal of me can still be washed off of you. Your love of the God of money can still be washed of you. Judas, I will still wash you with my blood. Judas, you betrayed me, but you are still loved. Our second take-home truth is this, is that you can still be washed no matter what. Undoubtedly, there's somebody in this room that's is sitting here and, and you've got this, this one thing that you did and it might have been 20 years ago and, and you just can't let go of it. And if it's not you, it's me. And you're sitting here going, that's the one thing that I can never get over. That's the one thing that I have to hide from my friends and from my church. That's the one thing that I hide from God because that's the one thing that would make me unlovable to Jesus. Did you sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? 
See, it doesn't matter what's in our past. It doesn't matter what we've done. It can still be washed. As the meal continues, Jesus reveals that there's going to be this betrayal, that the people are going to betray him. And he says, somebody's sitting at this table, and all the disciples start looking around and going, is it me? Is it me? Ask him who it is. And so eventually the disciples go around, and there's like this, this joint discussion where each disciple looks at Jesus and goes, is it me, Lord? And somebody else goes, surely, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Are you talking about me, Lord? Am I going to do this to you? And, and it comes around to Judas, who's already betrayed him, and Judas says, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Don't underestimate the power of one word. Everybody else at the table calls Jesus Lord. They say, you are in charge. I serve you. But what does Judas say? He says, you're only a teacher. Is it me? And Jesus says, you have said. And at that moment, Judas knows that Jesus knows. And Judas leaves. And Jesus leaves. And Jesus and the disciples go to the garden. They begin to pray. but, But they'll be reunited that night. We're still in Matthew 26, if you've got your Bible still open. We're in in verses 47 through 50. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus, and he said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then, they, then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Jesus is praying and he's preparing his disciples. It's at the very last minute and we know from the scripture that Jesus during this time, he was praying, God, let something else happen. Is there another way out of this? Please, I will do this, but if there's any other way, let's do that. If there's any way but me laying on the cross and and he knows the moment of what's about to happen and, and suddenly here comes Judas and he's brought friends. And he had arranged this sign as, I will walk up to the man that you want to arrest and I will kiss him. And Judas walks up to Jesus and he kisses him. Some people call that the kiss of death. And Jesus knows what Judas has been planning. Jesus knows what it means for him. Jesus knows what the next day will mean for him. He knows that he's about to die. He understands the agony of being whipped, the agony of being crucified. He understands that he's gonna be mocked and made fun of. He knows what Judas just delivered to him. And what did he say to him? What did he say to this man? He said, why are you here, friend? (laughs) No, Jesus, Judas is not your friend. This is the man that sold you like a slave. This is the man who thinks that you serve him. This is the man who you washed his feet and it didn't work. This is the man for three years that you've poured into and you've loved and you've tried to teach He is not your friend. It's over. He's already messed up. Jesus, you're going to the cross and you are going to call him your friend? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. In Matthew, Matthew uses two different words for friend. The most common that Matthew uses is the, is the concept of just like a buddy. It's the, it's the kind of thing you call somebody a friend when you see them in Walmart and you do the point thing. You're like, hey, how's it going? And you just walk right on by. That's what Matthew usually uses for the word friend. But, but in this, what Jesus used was not that general sense. He used the word heterus, which is a close friend or a companion. 
our best friend. And this is the last thing on this earth that Jesus ever says to Judas. He calls him his friend. In the midst of being betrayed, in the midst of being led away to his death, he calls his betrayer a friend. And I see in Jesus this amazing amount of grace that even at this, his last-ditch effort, the man who's having him killed, he's trying to bring Judas back. He's loving him. He's giving him this last shot. As Judas, I still can forgive you. Judas, I can still fix this. Judas, I can still wash you. Judas, it's not too much, even if you think it is. Judas, I can still call you friend. And this is what grace looks like. Is grace washes the feet of the betrayer and grace calls enemies friends. In fact, that's your last take-home truth, is that grace washes the feet of the betrayer, and grace calls enemies friends. And this doesn't make sense to me, because I can't love this way. It's inconceivable that anybody or any being could love this way. I love, this, I love the line from the song, Run to the Father, by Cody Carnes. I love the way he puts it. He says, I don't have a context for that kind of love. We can't understand Jesus loving this radically or this unconditionally. Because even Judas knew what he did. When he sees Jesus Jesus is about to be crucified, he's so overcome with shame and he's so overcome with guilt and he realizes how big this is what he just does. He tries to undo it. He runs back and he takes the money and he says, here, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do this. I messed up, take the money back and he stuck with the money. And, and because of his shame, this, this shame that is just too much for bear, to bear, Judas finds a tree and he hangs himself from it. But Judas was still missing the point because just a few hours later, Jesus Christ would find a tree and he would hang himself from it because Judas's shame was too much for him to bear. See, we think that, that Jesus died on the cross, and we think we did. he died on the cross for the people who deserve it, but no, Jesus died on the cross for Judas, for people he calls friends, even though they don't deserve it. And we're astounded by this. Judas, the betrayer, he is so unlovable. We read this like it's a bad movie. We look at this and like, Judas is the bad guy. He's getting what comes to him. Judas is the guy that, that should not be forgiven, but Judas, the betrayer, had the opportunity for forgiveness. And we look at this and we're reminded that, that Judas's betrayal of Jesus didn't put him on the cross. Live. Judas is not the one who put Jesus there. It was, it was me and it was you. Jesus hung on that cross not because nails held him there, but because his love for you and me kept him there. Jesus died because of my betrayal, because of times when I've had other gods, because I've chosen to live my life full of sin, just the same as you. And so when we see Jesus' love for Judas, what I see in that is I see Jesus' love for me, that he would die for me after all the things that I've done to him. And there's some of us in here this morning, and you're living a Judas life. You've walked beside Jesus and you've walked behind Jesus, but you've never walked with Jesus. You've never let him truly wash you. You've just been there for what you can get out of him. You've never given your life to him and you've never seen yourself as his servant. And today is a day to come because Jesus has the invitation, invitation to you. It's come, let me wash you. And some of us in here, we've never considered what we owe Jesus. We've never considered what it is that we did that caused him to be crucified. And the shame of that should hang heavy on us, but it doesn't have to because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ went to the cross to take that shame from us.
And today you can accept that gift of his grace and his love if you haven't already.